Welcome, future doctors, to another episode of the Future Minority Doctor Podcast with Dr. Sulma and Marina, where we bring you conversations to empower and inspire you to contribute to your community and the world by becoming a doctor. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Marina. Thanks for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed our first few episodes and that you found some inspiration to help you on your own journey. If you're still on the fence about whether a career in medicine is right for you, then maybe today's episode will help you out a little bit. Today we want to talk about why you are needed. We want you to understand why we need more doctors that come from a variety of ethnicities, races, and cultures, doctors that speak different languages, and doctors that have a variety of life experiences. Why is this important? Because the people that go to doctor's offices and hospitals come from a variety of ethnicities, races, and cultures. They speak many different languages. They have many different life experiences. And when people are able to see a doctor that they feel understands them, they have more trust. They communicate better. They're happier with the care they receive. They are more likely to follow the treatment that is recommended, and they have better health outcomes. For example, a black patient treated for a heart attack by a black doctor is more likely to receive appropriate treatment than if treated by a white doctor. This isn't necessarily caused by outright racism. It's a complicated mix of factors that includes communication, trust, and implicit bias on the side of both the doctor and the patient. To talk more about why we need more diversity in medicine, I spoke to Dr. Paula Mina Osorio. She holds a medical degree as well as a PhD and is the Executive Medical Director at Arinia Pharmaceuticals. She has done research in the field of immunology to study chronic diseases like rheumatoid arthritis and lupus in order to try to discover new treatments for these diseases. She has a passion for helping underrepresented minorities become doctors and published a book on this topic earlier this year. Here is our conversation. Tell us a little bit about your background. Sure. So as uh, you can tell from my uh, accent, I was not born in the U.S. I was born in Ecuador, um, born and raised. I went to medical school in Ecuador. Um, My father was a cardiologist, so I really um, learned to love medicine and patient care since I was very little. Uh, My father used to take me to see patients in underserved areas where he spent a lot of his time. Uh, seeing patients for free. Um, so, and he really talked to me about these cases and about the unmet needs of patients with diseases that were incurable. And that's really, you know, where all started for me this uh, passion for discovery and for research. Um, and really, that's, that's what brought me to the US, where really the US is always, has, has always been at the forefront of science and research. And this is why. I came here um, to complete my my training and uh, where I stayed to practice medicine and and do some uh, immunological research. Perfect. So one thing I find unique about you is that you're an MD, so you're a medical doctor, but you also have a PhD. So we often think of doctors just as being doctors, not necessarily being doctor scientists. So tell us a little bit about that. Why did you choose to be a doctor scientist versus just a doctor? 
That's a really good question. I gave that a lot of thought and I spent many hours talking about this with my father. And the conclusion we reached out to was you need to know what patients are going through if you want to be a successful scientist. And I'm not saying that if you're not an MD, you cannot be successful in science or contribute. But I think that having seen patients suffering from these diseases gives you the compassion and the understanding of what is at stake. And that really gives you the drive to, I think, go further than you would if you didn't know what patients are going through. It's, it's all about patient care and patient's quality of life. Uh, and I think having seen patients with lupus and having seen patients with psoriasis and having seen patients with arthritis, um, those are stories that you never forget and that you, you know, stay with you throughout your career and give you the, the strength to, to go the extra mile and make a, ex, an extra effort to help them. And that's really why I decided to go to medical school first, practice for a couple of years and then uh, do my PhD and, and go to science. Wonderful. So now, as I understand it, you're mostly working as a scientist, but you have that medical background that motivates you to understand certain diseases. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. So where I am now, I've, I've, got, I've done different types of research. I worked in basic research, which is where you um, really study and discover mechanisms of disease in cells or in animal models. Um, and more recently, in the last few years, I've been more involved in clinical research, uh, particularly in the pharmaceutical industry, where we um, actually have drugs that have been developed and tested in those animal models, and they worked. Uh, so at this stage, you test them in, in humans um, to see whether they're efficacious to, to treat these diseases. Thank you for sharing that. So earlier this year, you published a book called Un Doctor Por Favor, why we need more Hispanic physicians in the U.S. and why you should be one of them. So what inspired you to write this book? So as I said before, I have spent pretty much all my adult life in science and medicine in the U.S. in different capacities. And I have rarely, if ever, uh, worked with another Hispanic Latino physician. Um, it is a well-known fact that the racial composition of the nation's physician workforce doesn't uh, match that of the general population, but I always wondered what was the reason behind such a dramatic disparity. So I started reading about the demographics of the U.S. population, and I was trying to understand how early the, the disparities begin and what's really the reason behind the shortage of Hispanic doctors in the U.S., and I realized that the information is incredibly scattered. It's very difficult to find uh, or to interpret unless you're a statistician or a demographer. So I realized that somebody needed to do the work of compiling all that information and sharing it with the Hispanic Latino community uh, in a more concise manner so that it's you know easier to access and understand. So that was really the, the main reason. And then I started talking to um, Hispanic Latino students from different parts of the country, um, and as well as uh, some of co my colleagues uh, who knew Hispanic uh, medical students and practitioners, and I very quickly realized that there's, you know, the the, the students that are interested in careers in medicine 
are often discouraged from pursuing a career in medicine. Um, I joined some online um, blogs and, and Facebook pages where um, students interested in careers in medicine uh, usually share their stories. And one of the first students that I met, whose name uh, I changed for the book, uh, I call her Ana Maria. Ana Maria told me in a Facebook conversation that her counselor had told her that she was not material for medical school. And when she told me that, I, I almost cried. I, I couldn't believe that a counselor would tell that to, to a young student that had such high uh, aspirations. And that was the moment when I decided that I was going to share all this research that I had done around this topic. And she has been an integral part of the entire process of publishing the book. She shared a lot of her story with me that I, I share in the book. And I always say that she's really the main inspiration. Initially, it was just exploratory work of understanding why we need more doctors, why is there a shortage? Um, but it took a life uh, of its own when I, when I learned about Ana Maria, and then I realized that she's not alone. There's really dozens and possibly hundreds of kids that are told in school that medicine is not for them. Yeah, it's interesting because I've heard similar stories myself. As a pediatrician, I see kids from newborns to 18-year-olds, and sometimes during their well-child exams, we would talk about how school is going and what they wanted to do after high school. And some of them were really discouraged because they felt like people, counselors, parents, family, friends were telling them that they couldn't dream big. And that was really sad to see because I think we're all far more capable of doing things than we think we are. And I know medical school is certainly difficult, but anybody who sets their mind to it can do it if they want to. Yeah, I, I, tell, I tell people that reach out to me after I publish the book, uh, I'm not telling you it's going to be easy. Uh, what I'm telling you, it's, go it's going to be worth it. And you've heard that saying so many times, but it's, it's true. It's not going to be easy. So many people told me, oh, it's going to take you so long, and especially if you want to be a scientist, you know, medical school and then a PhD and then years of fellowship. Uh, is it really worth it? And after 20 years, I can say it's absolutely worth it. Absolutely. Every second of it was worth it. I love that. So um, you mentioned in your book that Hispanics make up 18% of the U.S. population, but only 6% of doctors. Um, you do mention some of the reasons in the book. So some of them being greater levels of poverty, limited English proficiency, coming from schools with lower quality education, lack of mentorship. Can you touch on that a little bit? So some of the broader reasons for why we have that disparity? Absolutely. Um, and so, yes, it's only 6% of medical school matriculants that are Hispanic or Latino. And that is in comparison with more than 40% of uh, matriculants that are uh, white. Uh, and the interesting finding for me, not being an expert in this topic, was that there's a a perfect parity between the number or the percentage of young adults of white race that go to medical school, so it's 40 and 40, versus the, um, the uh, number of young adults that are Hispanic uh, in the U.S., more than 20 percent, um, versus only 6 percent of them going to medical school. So yeah, the, the, it's very it's dramatic. So I, I created a graph for the book and that I, that I use a lot when I talk about this to people because it, it really 
illustrates the, the dramatic disparity. So the, the question of why is there such a disparity is obviously very complex. There's multiple reasons. There's definitely this history, the country's history of segregation and inequality that I do touch on the book, but from a very positive angle, which is, yes, there's, there's definitely um, Hispanics lag behind other races and ethnicities in terms of their educational achievement, but we've made tremendous progress. Uh, in the last 10 to 20 years, there, there's more Hispanics going to college than ever in the history of this country. The number of dropouts has decreased. The number of even um, students going to medical school has has increased uh, very significantly. So, you know, it it can be done. I I feel that many authors touch on this topic from the point of view of there's there's disparity. It's it's a bad thing. There's there's poverty. And we cannot deny the, the disparities and we have to do something to try and correct those disparities. But it's also important to think about, um, you know, the progress that has been made in the last, uh, you know, ten to twenty years. Sure. Um, so when you ask me what the reasons are, clearly the disparities start early in the educational journey, as early as kindergarten. So we are many Hispanics like myself who come from other countries and have limited English proficiency start behind from the beginning because of um, the, the precisely the lack of English proficiency that prevents them from going to advanced classes and uh, the lack of support in their households. Um, the lack of mentorship, for sure, is a major component. But once you get to high school or later, everybody uh, of any race who gets admitted to medical school or goes to medical school does exactly as they do as well as people of any other race and ethnicity. So it's not about ability. It's, it's just about access and having the possibility to even try. Uh, and that's really the message for me is that it is more difficult for minorities. There is no doubt about it. I'm not denying that. But we all have the same ability to do it. And, and the ones who do it are precisely people who believed they could. And that's one of the reasons why I invited a few very successful physicians who are Hispanic to tell their stories because they come from similar backgrounds. They went through the exact same um, issues with disparity since they were very young, and yet they were able to overcome those difficulties and and become successful. Yeah, that's actually one of my favorite parts of your book is a section towards the end where you just interview people and they share their stories and it's very inspiring to hear from a variety of voices about why they decided to become doctors and their experience becoming doctors. So obviously there is there is a big disparity when it comes to the percentage of the population that is Hispanic versus the percentage of doctors that are Hispanic. But why is it important for more underrepresented minorities, including Hispanics, to become doctors? It's all, again, it's all about patient care. It's all about better patient outcomes. So in the book, I share a lot of information that I found regarding the fact that Hispanic patients or Latino patients prefer to see Hispanic doctors, particularly um, those patients who have limited English proficiency. Uh, There's 40 million people in the U.S. who speak Spanish at home. 
and those um, those uh, patients prefer to communicate in their language. They prefer to see a physician who understands their culture, their costumes, their food. Healthcare is a very unique environment where you're sharing things that are very personal, that are often painful, that are often difficult to explain. When how do you explain how you feel, where you feel pain, you know how you think that's related to your um, your habits to your family members. Uh, so to communicate that in, in a language that is not your native language is very difficult. And uh, in the book, I also share some stories about patients who have had, you know, really negative outcomes because they were not able to communicate appropriately. I just recently experienced this with a family who um, got infected with COVID. And none of the members of the family spoke English uh, so they were not able to understand what was happening. They didn't really know anything about the virus. A friend of mine reached out to see if I could talk to them in Spanish and explain what was happening. Uh, I, I think this pandemic has made this even more obvious, the fact that you need not only culturally, but linguistically competent healthcare. And that's really important for these families that don't speak the language. So that's perhaps only one of the reasons it's one of the ones that I focus on the most in the book um, because this public health case uh, demonstrating that patients treated by racially uh, concordant physicians or by physicians who are linguistically competent just do better. Um, their, their health outcomes are better. Their quality of life is better because they feel understood and they have close relationships with their physicians. That's really important for me. But there's many other reasons why you need more underrepresented minorities in medicine and the civil rights aspect of this is evidently important based on this recognition that I mentioned before, this recognition of the country's history of segregation and inequality that you know, I think we can all work together to change. Um, and there's additional re- reasons. I mean, there's, there's a business case for this. There's uh, improved customer service. Um, you, your patients feel better. They, they um, trust healthcare providers better when they know they can go to an office where they will be treated with respect, where their their culture will be respected, where they feel they will be understood. That decreases the long-term costs for the um, healthcare system because now these patients are more adherent to treatment. Um, They're less likely to um, come back for follow-up visits because they are receiving better care. And there's even an educational case because there's uh, for, for, for increased diversity uh, because there's data to suggest that individuals who are educated among a more diverse school population do better because they just understand the diversity better, are, are more culturally com- uh, competent and um, just provide better services to their patients. So like we said before, it's a, it's a complex issue, but there's multiple, multiple reasons why uh, we need more um, underrepresented minorities in healthcare. But to me, just from my personal perspective, improved patient outcomes is, to me, the patient is at the center always. And so to me, that's really the main uh, reason. Absolutely. Thank you. So obviously we need more doctors who are Hispanic or Latino. So. Another question would be, apart from needing more diverse doctors, do we also need more diverse nurses and therapists and pharmacists and all of those other um, healthcare workers as well? Absolutely. Uh, there is no doubt about that. I, I focus on, on uh, doctors in this 
first book just because of uh, you know space constraints but I do plan to expand that later on to um, other healthcare providers the, there's no doubt that the healthcare team is a team uh, the patients sometimes patients interact with nurses and therapists or pharmacists more than with the doctor so this entire team of care needs to be culturally and linguistically competent and so there's absolutely a, a, a very large need and I talk a little bit about this in the book from the point of view of the there is no not only a shortage of doctors um, of Hispanic doctors uh, but also there's a shortage of pretty much every single healthcare provider of Hispanic origin. The shortage does not apply to doctors exclusively. So what helps you to have hope that more underrepresented minorities, including Hispanics, can become doctors? I think we're living uh, in a period of time where we're, it's like an awakening to these disparities. And what's happening in the, uh, in the country right now is opening many people's eyes to to the fact that this has been happening systematically over the last, you know, probably hundreds of years, right? And I think these newer generations are more aware than ever. And I, that's one of the reasons why I decided that sharing this information in this book and in a shorter version of the book that will follow uh, was important because it's true that knowledge is power. And I think the more we share this message that this needs to change. Uh, the more we understand the demographics of our population, the more we understand the reasons for the shortage of healthcare providers who are minorities, you know, the more informed we will be on what are the things that need to change to improve or hopefully end the disparities at some point. And it is a slow process, but I think there is hope. I agree with you that slow and steady, we can improve things. We can begin to see more diversity in medicine. And I think, like I said, we're already seeing it, and that's what makes me feel so hopeful. Um, it was it was incredibly exciting to me that when I started looking at the numbers and the demographics, I did not find that the trend was going down in terms of the number of students applying to medical school or the numbers the number of students graduating from high school or it was all in the right direction and that was incredibly encouraging to me it's it's already happening it's not something that i can say i hope that it will change it's already changing um, so we just need to spread the word and 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 we need to mentor more we definitely those of us who have been uh, already either practicing or researching or you know, in any capacity uh, functioning as healthcare providers need to help the younger generations and remind them that it's definitely worth it <laughs> and it's doable. Absolutely. It is. And we just need to keep that momentum going. Absolutely. So if you could give one piece of advice to high school or college students considering careers in medicine, what would it be? I will go back to what I said before. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be worth it. There's another thing I always tell them. It's if your path is more difficult, it may be because your calling is higher. When I started uh, telling people that I wanted to go to medical school and become a scientist, I heard a lot, a lot, very frequently, oh, you're going to sacrifice your youth or it's going to be so, it's going to take you so long and so that many years studying. Are you sure it's worth it? 
And so I would tell them, don't listen to people who say that. Time really flies. And when, it, when it's all over, the excitement you know, that, you, that you feel when a patient tells you, thank you so much and feel so much better. You, you know, you, you made my child feel better. You made my mom feel better. Or when you do what I do and you, you get letters from patients that say, this drug changed my life. There was no treatment for my disease before. I've suffered for my entire life and now I'm doing better. And we get letters like that all the time. And so when you get that, you conclude again and again, it was worth it. Definitely was worth it. So I'm glad I didn't hear to all the, you know, listen to the naysayers who said, oh, it's going to be too long. It's going to be too hard. Uh, How are you going to afford it? Uh, Don't listen to those people. Listen to people who encourage you. Listen to people who say, I can help you. I'll support you. You know, we're in this together. Um, hang out with other students that have the same dream that you have. Look for a mentor, for sure. Look for a mentor. There's always someone uh, that is willing to help you and to work with you and to give you advice and just, you know, keep the end in mind. The end is to improve patient care and help people. And as long as you have that end in your mind, it will become easier and it will go fast. Absolutely. I agree with all of all of those pieces of advice. So for anyone interested in reading your book, how can people access your book? So right now the book is already available in at pretty much all uh, libraries. Um, if, the, if your local library or your school library doesn't have it yet, you can just share the number, the book number. It's called the ISBN. Uh, you can find it on the Amazon webpage um, and, and share it with your library. The goal is to make this book accessible to as many people as possible. So I am working on um, bringing it to all you know, school libraries and, and local public libraries. Online, it's available on Amazon as a Kindle ebook as well as a paperback. It's available in Barnes & Noble, Walmart, uh, Goodreads, uh, pretty much all Um, places where books are sold. Perfect. Thank you so much, Dr. Mina Osorio. We really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today and to share your story and to share more about your book and why it's so important to have a more diverse healthcare workforce. I hope you enjoyed listening to this conversation with Dr. Mina Osorio and that it's become clearer to you why you are needed. Now, I know that her book focuses on getting more Hispanic doctors in the U.S., but please know that the same principles apply to any other group. Your unique background and life experiences will help you be a better doctor for your future patients. We hope to have another guest doctor expand on this topic more in a later episode, but until then, stay well and stay inspired. If you have any questions or comments, please visit our website at futureminoritydoctor.com and click on the contact us page. Please also like us on Facebook or Instagram and help spread the word about this podcast to anyone you think might benefit from it. Have a wonderful day, future doctors.